0: hello christopher what is up jason uh well i just got back from chicago yesterday what were you doing up there uh so one of my friends graduated from Memphis fire academy so he is now a Memphis firefighter and he is in love with chicago and he's like oh let's go celebrate which was just like a bs BS reason to go to chicago of uh, course
1: hey that's great i'll be going up there for uh little weekend trip first uh, weekend in october so cool just missed you i love chicago though it's nice
0: yeah it was cool we stayed at uh we stayed downtown i had some points to burn but sorry my kids crying one night oh, which was i think it was either friday or saturday night i was in the hotel lobby i was like that person looks an awful lot like you to cats and so like, I like went up to my room, and I just like didn't think about it anymore. And then I came downstairs to get some Tylenol, and I was like, "I gotta find out." And so I was like, "Are you Yahoo cats?" And they're like, "Yep, that's me." And I was like, "Whoa, <laughs> what's so, you doing there?" Uh, I think I didn't ask, but uh, I, don't know, I think there was some kind of ember something happening there. So <laughs> that's funny. anyway, yeah, and uh, the next. The next morning I saw Godfrey Chan. So I was like, this is the odds of this. This is wild.
1: Yeah. it's like you, <laughs> that'd be like if you, uh, accidentally went to the same city that rails Conf was, <laughs> but you didn't know it was there. And you're like, huh?
0: DHH. That looks like him weird. <laughs> yeah. I made a complete ass of myself. <laughs> I like, I never know what to say to people in those situations. And so like, I was trying to find like common ground, And I ended up saying something like, "Hey, yeah, we've been trying to get you on the podcast," and I was like, "Oh crap, that's that wasn't the thing to to say."
1: (laughs) Yeah, well, it's hard having conversations like that with somebody you really haven't haven't met yet. So,
0: but yet, like, know so much about.
1: Right, right, yeah. It's like I mean, it's the same kind of strange thing we get it. Railsconf now, like you know, people come up and be like, "Hey, listen to the podcast," and we're like, uh it's a weird one-sided relationship right now. (laughs) Like who are you and what do you do? And you know, (laughs) (laughs) pretty funny. Yeah. How are you? Oh, I'm good. Um, I'm hoping that the weather finally, you know, becomes a little nicer. I've been like, I don't know, trying to get out and have a non non non-computer related hobby, uh, which was working on my car, but it's like, know 100 some degrees in the, in the garage so that's been a no-go for a little while um but other than that yeah just good just keep doing the same old, same old. for the most part it feels like we haven't recorded for a couple weeks i guess because we haven't
0: yeah we haven't yeah. <laughs> yeah there's there's been a lot going on uh that you you reminded me when i was in chicago it's like 70 degrees it was awesome oh, and when we landed When we landed in Memphis, it was eight thirty at night. They're like, "Welcome to Memphis, where it's a (laughs) hundred (laughs) degrees."
1: Jeez. (laughs) Well, at least it's warmer in the winters. Uh, Maybe. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, this week uh, we're joined by um, Andrew Mason. Uh, Welcome, Andrew. Uh, Do you want to give everyone an introduction?
2: Hey guys, uh, thanks for inviting me. So my name is Andrew Mason. I'm a full stack rails developer in Wilmington, North Carolina. Um, yeah, I like working on open source. I'm also on the Ruby rogues podcast panel and yeah, that's about it for me. Well, uh, where do you work? Uh, I don't like to say the name of the company just in case when I inevitably say something really dumb. (laughs) (laughs) Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, so
1: I, I guess we should just start with like, how did you get into programming and then what did you start with Ruby? What eventually led you into Ruby if you didn't? Um, that whole story.
2: Sure. So like almost every other programmer, I feel like I hear about these days. I got started from a young age. Um, I was always really big into computers and I always like messing around on them. Um, I remember when I was younger, I figured out how to use like the inspect tool on Chrome and I convinced my buddy that I hacked Facebook or something by replacing things on Facebook with the inspector tool to make it look like I was super awesome. But (laughs) so (laughs)
1: I've done that too. Yeah.
2: (laughs) Um, So I guess I started taking computer courses. Uh, I think I learned visual basic first Java, HTML, CSS, a little bit of JavaScript went to UNCW, the University of North Carolina at Wilmington for a computer science degree. And I went took Python, Java, uh, did more, some, more HTML and CSS in there and a few other languages scattered in between, like some PHP. And I got an internship at the company I work at now, funny enough, as a graphic designer because they were looking for graphic design interns. And I was trying to build up a side business doing web design and I was terrible, terrible designer. So I was like, yeah, perfect. They'll teach me how to design and kind of one thing led to another and they found out I was a computer science student um, and they introduced me to their development team. And I got a internship with them actually the following semester. And that's when I was introduced into Ruby and rails.
0: That's such a similar story to me, like down to like, I wanted to do graphic design, like I wanted to be. I wanted to do websites, but it's like, oh, I'll never be able to program. But I was a horrible designer. I still am. Um, yeah, and like I started with Visual Basic, like the whole thing. The story sounds so similar. Uh, how long have you been with this company now?
2: So I guess, including internships, um, two and a half ish years. I think. I think I've been working with them professionally. I mean, I've been working with them professionally ever since I got out of college, which was last year in May. So approaching a year and a half full time. That's awesome.
0: So, and you said that is where you actually started like picking up Ruby Rails. How was that kind of transition um, going from all these like kind of hodgepodge of languages you had known into working in Ruby?
2: Uh, It was amazing. Uh, because I I did not like the languages I was using at the time. I didn't like the tooling. I, I think at the point where I started to learn Ruby, I had just gone through like PHP. So, and I was still in a PHP related class. I think it was like full stack web applications or something like that. It was supposed to teach you how to use database, but it was largely a PHP related course, unfortunately. And I did not like PHP or at minimum, I didn't like the PHP version that we were using. Like we weren't using Laravel or anything. We were using like PHP 5 or something like that. So it was it was awful. And as soon as I started picking up Ruby and Rails, I was like, oh my God, this is absolutely life-changing. And I ended up doing my senior project in that course in Rails. And I don't think anyone else at the time had even heard of it really. And if it so, just like in passing.
1: What was your senior project on?
2: It was a product management app or project management app, I guess. Um, I think I was taking like Udemy courses at the time and basically took one of those courses and then added on top of it. Um, It's still on GitHub, but I've always thought about like redoing it with what I know now because at the time there were a few requirements for the course that I had to meet. And in order to meet them, I had to do like something very, very, very funky to force Rails to do this one sort of query. And I tried to explain to the teacher, I was like, there's no reason to have this sort of query. I'm like, this isn't like even an efficient query to use. And she's like, no, you have to have it. So I think the teacher's like intention was that we all in our projects and then we give her a like show her where all the SQL functions are defined. And I was like, well, you see, (laughs) there are, there is none. Um, So I had to basically show her terminal output. And I think I was on a a team of four and I was the only one that ever touched the product. And yeah, the other guys just kind of, they're like, Oh yeah, we want to do this rails thing. And then started doing it. And then I literally, they wouldn't even respond to me (laughs) after that. (laughs)
1: It sounds like most senior or most group projects in school, at least. Uh, yeah. yeah, my senior project was uh, well, I had gotten hired by a professor to like work on some um, Rails projects, and and then our senior project was like two semesters long, and we would go work for one of the different departments of the university, and so we had the admissions department. And we ended up building, of course, I did like 90% of the work on it. Um, we used Rails to build like a touring or a campus tour scheduling um, app, which was like really, really fun. And like, I had the same kind of thing where it was like, they want you to learn SQL and stuff, but with Active Record, you don't really have to know squat. Uh, you just kind of have to understand like how SQL works and that's about it. And yeah, we had, we had some of those similar moments, but luckily our professors were more like lenient. Like they knew you could, they knew you could learn whatever rails was abstracting away from you because you built this whole thing that worked, but it's quite an interesting, you know, experience. Cause they're like, I don't know. They're trying to grade you on uh, stuff, I guess, equally with the rest of the students, but like if everybody's project's different, how do you do that? So it's kind of funny.
2: Yeah, definitely. It's, uh, I think my, my app was definitely the most full featured. Like it looked the best. I got a hundred on the project. Um, and the teacher knew me from a previous course I'd had with her. Uh, and so she knew I was, you know, I could pick up things quickly. Like in most of the courses I had with her, I was the one who finished early and was like, all right, Hey, I'm done. Can I go home now? Um, and she would usually ask me to stay and help some of the other people kind of catch up. So, which I was always happy <laughs> to do. That's going to be a good feeling. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know how, but I've always been quick, usually at programming. So, I mean, and I had prior experience coming into college in the first place. So I've pretty much throughout college, except for like one or two weird Java classes, like I was usually the one who was finish early. And the teacher was like, all right, well, like there's an hour and a half left in this class.
0: (laughs) That was me me up until I got into like data structures. Then I was like the last one to finish.
1: (laughs) Yeah. We had some of that where it was like, I, I don't understand why I need to learn this. You know, it's like, unless you give me a good example, I don't know why I need to know these certain algorithms and you know, to this day, like probably haven't applied almost any of them. Um, maybe a few, you know, here or there, but like, you know, for the most part that stuff yeah. needs to have some sort of context for you to like be willing to care about it or learn it.
0: I almost wish there was, I say, I wish it seems like there's kind of a divide. Cause like going through the program, like, I knew I wanted to do web development and I know there's like types of web development that involve a lot of those type things, but like the CS program I was in was basically for like what felt like a different career path of programming, but it was like this generalized thing, but I didn't really necessarily learn a lot of the things I needed for web dev.
2: So no, yeah, for sure. Cause I remember specifically in one of the classes I was in, I was like, all right guys, we should, uh, if we're all going to work on this project and at that point I admittedly, sorry, mom, uh, I did not go to class ever at all because I was the kind of kid who could show up on like test day and then pass the test and then go back home. Uh, so I was like, all right guys, I'm not coming to campus, um, to work on this. Like we can work asynchronously. I was like, so we should start using Git to version all our stuff. And no one in my team had ever used Git. um, and they weren't really the type that were willing to go figure it out for themselves. So, I mean, that so I think that's one thing that's always set me a bit apart is like, if you tell me a thing, like, and I don't know it, like, I'm going to go figure it out on my own and then come back.
1: Yeah. Uh, so how, how did you go, or how was the process from going from, you know, programming in school to the internship to, you know, full-time as your job.
2: It was pretty good. Uh, I think my company did good at that because they assigned me a mentor who I worked with um, and he was remote. So we would talk uh, weekly and he was always there if I ever needed to, you know, had questions or wanted to work or needed help pairing or something. Um, And then I also worked in the office because I live in the same town as that business. So there, there were two pretty sharp guys in the office Who would help me uh all the time so those guys ended up helping me a lot more with the like setting up your development environment and using editor and using and using git and you know ZSH and all kinds of those kind of tool type things and my mentor was very good at helping me with the rails side of it and i think i took i took tons of online courses read tons of articles um Yeah. So that's, that's how I learned pretty much. I would go take whatever they taught me and I would go home and like learn more about it, read blogs. And then I would build like dummy apps all day long.
1: I can definitely relate to that. That's like when I, I remember when I graduated and got my first job or two, it was just like, you know, I would work during the day and then I would go home and be like, I need to learn all this stuff so that I suck less in my job. (laughs) It was kind of fun. Like those people just kind of gave you the, uh, they just guide the direction of what you need to actually dive deeper into in a nice way. That's like, okay, easy. I can ignore all this other stuff and focus on this one thing versus just kind of when you're on, when you're on your own, it's just, a wide open thing. Do I learn Ember, Angular, React, Vue, whatever? And you might not go as deeply in to one thing as as you might otherwise.
0: I still come home. Well, I work from home. I still end the day and like need to learn something so I don't suck at my job.
1: <laughs> That's, um, I guess, I guess a good thing, right? Like, I guess
0: it it always
1: keeps you getting better.
0: So yeah. So. so Andrew, you said uh, during your introduction that you like doing a lot of open source work. Did When did all that start? Was that around the same time or how'd you get into all that?
2: Yeah, definitely around the same time. I mean, once I realized it's like, oh, everything we do is like open source, everything we're using to build these massive organizations and companies that are pulling in millions and billions of dollars are all built on open source. So. I there is no Ruby community in my town. Um, I'm pretty sure me and the guys that I work with are the only developers here that write Ruby. Um, the tech scene isn't that big, so I desperately wanted to be in a community and you know meet new people and you know work on stuff because I always I love working on projects. I love finding new problems. So open source is kind of the first place to go find that. I guess so. Start working on things with other people. Um, Really just kind of the motivation to give back or to at least make a mark in a community that's helped me so much, if that makes sense. Yeah, totally.
0: What were some of of the earlier open source projects you worked on?
2: I think here and there, I would get like a commit, like mostly documentation related or like some small fix here or there. Um, It wasn't until recently that, I really picked that up. Like I could find bugs here or there and I would do them, but they were very, it wasn't like in one project where I was focusing like efforts. It was spread across multiple projects like that. I was used. I would pick it up and I would find like a small issue with it. And I would, you know, submit a, try to submit a PR. If not, I would open a detailed issue, try to create a reproduction issue. Um, I've done issue triage on several repos and, recently I started working a lot with Nate Hopkins who you guys had on um, last episode and since then like I've had a lot more um, contributions um, and I've I guess along with that I've always been trying to like make my own open source tool that other people would use so like I have I think almost 200 github repos at this point and some of them are like little things I've tried to build to get people to use or just build it for my own use.
1: So did you, um, were you just interested in like stimulus reflex when you started working with him on that? Or, you know, did you know him outside of that and decide to dive in with him?
2: Yeah. So Nate is on the Ruby rogues podcast panel with me. So I had known Nate. And if you have listened to the podcast, you can tell like Nate is a smart dude. Um, so I think one day he, he brought, he brought that project up and I had already started getting into stimulus pretty hard. Um, and he showed me that project and I was like, oh, I was like, well, what are some like use cases that you could build with this, with stimulus reflex? And he was like, you want to just hop on a call? And I think for the next few hours, we he like showed me through the code and he explained some things. Um, and then I guess a few days later he messaged me and he's like, Hey, I'm going to work on creating like a to do MVC app, um, with this library. He's like, do you want to pair? And I think that was on a Sunday. We spent like six hours pairing that day. And I think we've been pairing ever since working through some stuff on that. And he's just in general been helped mentoring me some, um, showing me some pretty cool things and, Um, Letting me help him with that project has been pretty cool.
1: That's really fun. Like the kind of random, uh, you know, phone call leads into like a whole set of things that you guys get to work on together. You know, that's, I think, pretty common to how people stumble into like finding a mentor that guides you um have you ever had anybody else as a mentor in the past
2: yes so i mentioned having a mentor at they signed to me when i first started working at the company uh his name is john epperson and he gave a lightning talk at railsconf this year um and he left my company a few months ago but like after my internship my boss was like all right you don't need to keep meeting with John every week. And I was like, well, can I? (laughs) And he (laughs) agreed. So, I mean, up until the point John left, I was still meeting with him weekly and, you know, talking through things and it became less of a like, Hey, I have this issue. Let's pair on it to more talking about programming philosophies, you know, things in the community, general patterns and uh, Docker stuff. So, After he left the company, he offered to keep meeting with me weekly. So even to this day, I I still meet with him weekly and talk through things. Sometimes we pair on stuff. Um, So yeah, that's my other... That was my first and to this day mentor.
1: That's fantastic. I think, you know, that... I've had a few people like that in the past that like, you know, kind of accelerate your learning. I don't know, tenfold or something. Like if they're far enough down the line and you can just continue absorbing what they throw at you. And they're usually, you know, throwing challenges or helping you think uh, at a higher level or something like that for me has been invaluable in the past. Uh, Jason, have you had any mentors like that?
0: Yeah. So I kind of, well, one of the people that got me into programming was a really like early on HTML, CSS kind of mentor. He's a really smart .NET dev, but as you know, I never really got to .NET. Uh, I had a couple of mentors. We, we had Daniel Pritchett on the show one time, who was – he wrote the chat box book. He was pretty influential in, I guess, my career mentorship, but really, like, technical mentorship was my first Ruby job. Uh, there is a guy named Will, uh, who is the CTO of the last job I was at, and then also the lead dev, Morella. They were just both, like – they influence a lot of the knowledge I have today. Like there'll be things I do at like Podia and I like stop and think, I'm like, wow, I just randomly learned that from them. Like teach me things along the way. So
1: (laughs) that's awesome. Um, Andrew, I know you mentioned recently you've been working on some GitHub actions. Um, how is all that? And maybe introduce GitHub actions if, you know, someone hasn't heard of it before.
2: Yeah, so GitHub Actions are, in my opinion, like if you guys have ever seen the Probot um, collection of tools that one of the guys at GitHub has been working on, um, which has kind of really fostered a community around it. It's just these little bots that you know do things like from opening an issue to you know seeing like you know bad language in a PR and locking it or kind of things like that. Um, to me, GitHub Actions is an attempt to combine that with like a CI, CD system. So you could basically replace the CI you're using with GitHub Actions. Um, and you can also have create actions to do a lot of little little code things for you, like greeting a first-time maintainer or someone who like commits to the repo for the first time, like you know, adding an issue or adding a comment to their PR, welcoming them, Um I think you could do really anything with it. I am been interested in it for a while. I finally got into the beta and I have been, you know, messing with it ever since Um, I've been doing, I've added a few actions for some of the stimulus reflex stuff that um, Nate and I are working on, um, which those are basically just CI. Like they just run, you know um, I think prettier and standard, RB on the project. Um, I've seen people, you know, go all the way from, you know, something small like that to creating like uh, when you deploy your branch or whatever in GitHub, it will, you know, create a Docker image of it, build it, push it out, run like deploy tasks. Um, I've seen a lot of really cool stuff done with it. Uh, And I think it's going to be it's going to be really big. It's interesting to me that it was still in beta, I guess, before I got into it. And now that I'm in the beta, I can see why, um, because they're doing a lot of changes, um, fixing bugs. And recently they made a pretty big change where before all actions were written in like HCL syntax, which I don't know if you're familiar with. I wasn't familiar with it until that point. Um, But now they've, Migrated that and they're all in YAML now. Uh, hmm. What
1: What is HCL? I don't think I've, I'm not sure I'm familiar with it.
2: I had never seen it until this point. Um, I'm not even really sure how to describe it. It was basically just like, it was very readable in my opinion. Like you basically, I, I don't even know what to compare it to. It was a very, it wasn't so much of a language in my opinion, as it was like a definition format. So saying like, okay, run this action, um, here are the parameters, whatever. So I yeah, you'll have to look it up. I don't even know how I would explain it because I had, <laughs> by the time I got in the beta, they were in YAML. So the only time I've ever seen that syntax is in uh, projects that were using it and just haven't migrated yet.
1: Gotcha. Yeah. Um, is the YAML fairly easy to define?
2: It is. Um, I think it takes a bit of getting used to it first. I mean, if you write a lot of Ruby, like I would assume that, or at least Rails, then I would assume you're familiar, relatively familiar with YAML. So I think that's like a big help. The documentation is pretty good. Um, There are also ways to, so like you can just create an action in pure YAML, um, but there's other ways to create actions. um, Like if you ever pull in a project or pull in an action, those are typically written in another language and then kind of ported over into the package. It's, it's kind of hard to explain, but basically you can write your action in JavaScript, Ruby shell. Um, a lot of them are done in Docker. I think they're making a big push to like have people do them in JavaScript though. Um, and that basically you, you write your action and then you have like a Docker file and then you can include that in your, um, your action for your project. So I have one that I created, or I kind of piggybacked off someone else and added some enhancements. Um, it's, which is a Rubo coplinner. And basically all it is, is a Docker file. And then there's a, um, a shell file. That's like, Hey, call this Ruby program that you have that I have in there. And, It runs the Ruby program, um, interacts with the GitHub API, and then calls it a day. Hmm.
0: That kind of piqued my interest, too, because you mentioned, like, prettier. So I'm totally, like, I don't even look at GitHub Actions. Like, your definition of it was, like, really kind of the first I've even listened to. Um, So, like, let's say I had a code base and I wanted to run prettier across it. Would my Action do that as like a commit? Like, how does that work? Will it actually like allow me to let it like fix, like actually format the code and save that?
2: Yeah. So the GitHub actions are, I mean, at their core, they're just like commands that you're defining in some language and then running. And a lot of them can interact with the GitHub API. Well, I mean, if you're using a language that you can use to access the GitHub API, then, you can do stuff like that. So I've actually been toying with that idea and I've been waiting for someone else to solve the, one of the problems I was having first, which it seems that I think I found something the other day that someone had done this. So yes, the answer is yes. Um, You can have um, pretty run across the the project. Uh, Nate and I have an action that when you make a commit to a pull request, it runs like a prettier check on it and tells you if there's anything wrong with it. And I'm working on adding more to that so that if you, let's say you came and did a drive by PR and then we are like, Oh, well, this is awesome. We really want this, but you have like these failing prettier lints and they never respond to fix that. So instead of wanting up one, one of us pulling down the repo running the, that and then pushing it back up, or not the repo, but the pull request, pushing it back up. Um, I'm working on the thing, kind of the way Dependabot works, where you can do like at Dependabot and then give it a command, and it will add a commit to your um, branch. I'm working on the same thing where you can basically trigger the action with a comment, and yeah, it would. You can have it add a commit to that to that branch to that PR.
0: That's pretty awesome. Cause I also started adopting the Ruby version of standard. And I just think like, it'd be so nice not to like have to like run those commands. Just let it like do that for me. It's fascinating.
2: Yeah. I usually stick them in uh, after commit hook or something like that um, or just something. So it's not in my mind, but yeah, you could, Totally do that. It's totally possible. Really, anything you can do with the GitHub API, which, I mean, there are companies out there making tons of money off of just interacting with the GitHub API in some clever way. I think Dependabot being a good example of that. Uh, So yeah, pretty much anything out there that interacts with the GitHub API, you could recreate with Actions.
1: So you you can make it so that when you push up a commit, it'll go run prettier, commit it, And that commit will trigger it to re (laughs) to rerun the action just infinitely. And then we'll have a nice infinite loop of prettyifying your code. (laughs) Sounds perfect.
2: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, ideally like it would run it and then see that or fix it, push it back up and the check would pass, but I'm sure you can hit instances where that won't work. So yeah.
1: Yeah. And I mean, it makes sense. Like if you, if you pretty it, then chances are it wouldn't have any changes or whatever um, on that next commit if it triggered it or whatever. But yeah, that's cool. There's so many different things you can do. And like, it's, you know, I think a lot of people back in the day were doing like stuff from IRC bots and whatever, like Hubot and all that. Um, But it's nice to now have that kind of, I guess, more just directly integrated into the, the product itself. So you don't necessarily have to have Slack integration or whatever. And it's been nice to have those like checks on your pull request to make sure that Circle CI passed or whatever um, else you might have in there. Those are all kind of adding more tooling around your code base, um, which your Git repo being the source of truth there makes perfect sense that most of these things should live around there. I'll have to try this out. I looked up the HCL, which is the HashiCorp configuration language, um, which is JSON compatible. Uh, so it's interesting. I hadn't looked into that before, but I haven't used much of the HashiCorp tools myself um, either. But that'll be more, much more standard, I guess, for, for using YAML. Do you have any like GitHub actions that you're like, wanting to build uh in the near future or ideas that you're like man i wish someone would do this but i don't want to do it
2: yeah i mean like i already said i want to do one where i can tag the action or like use a certain um, format comment on a pr and have it run lints or fix the lints and push them up um i think that's the big one that i've been looking into um also kind of you can define like a massive action in your repo, but if you want to share that across, you know, multiple repos, that gets kind of hard. So what you can do is basically package up that action and just include one thing uh, across several repos, which I'm looking into as well. Uh, I think like doing releases of gems, I've, I've been playing with this idea uh, with stimulus reflex a little bit, but I'm trying to, get an automated like release task working first where because stimulus reflex is a node package and a Ruby gem. So I've been working on a uh, just a plain Ruby file that will run the commands to uh, you know, rake build rake, release the gem and do the same with the node package and also bump up the uh, version numbers like automatically in the files themselves. Uh, So, I've been working on that. My dream is that you could have an action where uh, if you're doing like, if you're ultimately doing continuous delivery, or if you base it on some other type of event, because all actions are based on, they're triggered by some sort of event on the repo. Um, So like, let's say I have, I'm ready to release a version of a gem. I just create a new GitHub tag and that tag creation triggers this action that will release the gem um, and the node package automatically. You, You can also trigger it a few other ways, but that's my dream. I will say one other thing about actions is that it's definitely kind of the wild West in terms of how people are building them because you have everything from Docker to pure shell to JavaScript. Like I have worked on one that's in Ruby um, like which interacts with Shell and Docker as well. But there's just so many different ways to build them, and GitHub seems to be settling in on JavaScript and Docker, but a lot of people are doing them a lot of different ways. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how they try to corral that. Um, hopefully, I, they're doing this a little bit, but I'm hoping that they're going to release a lot more um, actions from them themselves. So, like, this is our... Uh, Official GitHub action for doing like this thing. Um, there's not a lot of them out there right now, so I'm hoping that is also a thing that becomes more prevalent.
1: I really like that like release action. That sounds awesome because if you're, I mean, you wouldn't even necessarily have to be logged in as long as you're one of like the collaborator collaborators on the repo. Like you could trigger it without having to be at your terminal or whatever. Um, if you could do it, you know, by creating something on, on GitHub. Uh, did you I know you mentioned there's a few other options for like triggering events. Like, so, so is there, can you do that from like comments in a PR or issues or do you have to kind of like push up something to, to the Git repo,
2: like a tag? No, there are tons of things that can trigger an event or there are event triggers that can trigger an action to run. Uh, there it's all in their documentation of what it is but basically almost any interaction with a with a repo you can think of um there's an event for so they the action just watches for that event and as soon as it happens it executes the action
1: nice that's like pretty much exactly what you would want because it's you know so so many different ways like webhooks or whatever that you can interact that aren't necessarily just through Git. Um, And that makes it so you can, you know, do all kinds of different things. Um, It'd be interesting to see, you know, as like you publish yours and GitHub does and everybody else does, it'd be interesting to have like, I don't know, some sort of repository that just has a bunch of examples of like, these are for Rails apps and Sinatra and publishing Ruby gems and JavaScript and whatever. Um, it'd be cool to see a collection of that. I guess it's like if this, then that, almost for you know your your code.
2: Yeah, there's an awesome list already for GitHub Actions. Um, the GitHub team has a organization called. GitHub actions, I believe it's called GitHub actions where they're doing a bunch of stuff in there um, that you can see. Uh, But yeah, no, it would be cool to have like an official GitHub list where they're like, for like most of the major use cases, I mean, because they already have some like simple ones that if you have the action, if you're in the actions beta, you can go to the actions tab and it'll list like some, you know, very, very basic uh, actions that they have created that you can run out of the box. But it would be nice to see like a lot more of them. Um, and yeah, having like an official GitHub list of like, Hey, you want to run tests on your rails app? Here's how to do that. And things like that.
1: That's cool. Huh. I'll have to check that out sometime soon. And, and uh, wasn't there, I don't remember if this is out yet either, but GitHub was doing like a package repository thing. So you like, couldn't you publish a gem or, you know, like a node module to GitHub instead of NPM or Ruby gems or something. Yep. Or am yeah. I that's imagining big-
2: that? Yeah, I mean, that's a thing.
1: Cool. That'll be, you know, I guess another thing you can tie into, which will be pretty neat. Um, Last, uh, last topic I wanted to just touch on, and we talked about it a bit briefly, was um, you mentioned trying to find, you know, a community when you don't have other meetups and developers around you and in, in your location, like, do you want to dive more into that and kind of how you think about finding other developers and, in, in, you know, obviously not locally, but in your community online and connecting with them and all of that.
2: Yeah, for sure. Um, I think the first thing was, twitter honestly like i know a lot of twitter can be a cesspool but i generally find the ruby community on twitter to be quite pleasant uh so i started following tons and tons of rubius everything i could find uh and just started engaging more with people on twitter like that i joined a few slack groups um and i think at that point I was really big into listening to podcasts at that point. And I saw this was very early in my career. I think Jason sweat was doing his Ruby testing podcast and he said he was looking for more people to get on. And I just, you know, went for it. And I was like, Hey man, I was like, I'm a junior. I don't know a lot about testing. I can bring you, you know, tons and tons of questions. Um, from like a junior perspective, because at that point my general experience was a lot of the kind of podcasts out there on technology were not aimed. They were, they were like very professional people who had been doing it for a long time um, been programming for a long time and whatever their language was. And it just wasn't a lot of it was over my head as a junior. I'm like, I don't know what these things are. And like, obviously I would go look them up, but they just weren't very, they were like, you know, two, two Rubius, for example, who've both been programming for 10 to 20 years, you know, talking about some super high level subject, I guess. So I messaged Jason and I was like, I'd love to be on. I have a bunch of questions I can ask. Um, and I was like, and that would probably help any of your listeners who are less experienced or, you know, more junior. So he graciously let me on to his show and we talked Um, and I guess a few, a little bit later, I was talking to him on Twitter about something and I mentioned that I was like, dude, it would be my like all time dream to join the Ruby rogues podcast. He was like, dude, just message them on. He's like, just ask Chuck. So I tweeted out to Chuck, I guess, because I couldn't find his email at the time. Uh, That was before I figured out you can like sift through people's Git commits. But I tweeted out to Chuck. I was like, hey, you know, the guys you have on the podcast right now are all super senior, they're all super smart. I was like, I can, I would love to come on, be a panelist and provide that more junior aspect, you know, stopping the, like Dave and Nate when they're on a roll about some subject and they're starting to use terms that you know, either I don't know, or I think someone else in my position may not know. So like kind of stopping them and getting them to define stuff like that. And I don't know, that's kind of where it really started snowballing because Chuck let me on. He said I was the first person who had ever successfully reached out to him on Twitter about that. And he had actually let them on. He let me on as like a, like kind of like a first test on one of the episodes and He was like, yeah, you ask really good questions. If you want to keep coming back, you know, we'd love to have you. And so I've been doing that ever since. And through that, I have met tons and tons of people in the community um, and, you know, tons of smart people. I've paired more with Dave and Nate and been exposed to some of their stuff and their ideologies. And every time we have a guest on the show, I always add them on Twitter And, you know, just keep building that following of, you know, Rubyists who know me at this point. And, you know, when they're having a problem or they're tweeting about something I'm interested in, making sure to, you know, engage with that and also try to add things on my Twitter that are inviting people to engage with me as well. Um, So I've had a lot of success with that. Joining Slack communities is great. Um, Chris's go Rails community is pretty awesome as well. I'm in that. I'm in a few others as well. Um, so yeah, I really think, and going to conferences as well. I have been to RailsConf twice at this point. I'm probably going to RubyConf this year. And I really wanted to go to Southeast Ruby, but there, the timing was just not great for me. So I wasn't able to, but hopefully next year. Uh, that's also been awesome to meet people. Um, and you kind of have to like, Build your own community in a sense, like go out, you know, meet people virtually, um, offer to work on projects with people, you know, help out on open source projects, leave feedback and just try to engage with as many people as you can. Because I think you'll find that a lot of people are going to be willing to engage back and they're going to be willing to help you if you have a problem or they're going to be willing to take some help from you if you are, are offering it.
1: Yeah, that's absolutely true. Um, I had a guy who offered to do uh, transcripts for GoRails, um, you know, just out of the blue, and like that turned into a thing. And he eventually got, you know, a full time job as a Rails developer. And you know, th- those things are things where you can just—it's it- surprising how easy it is to reach out to someone. You know, reaching out to DHH is going to be obviously a bit harder. Because you're probably not going to be able to help him with a whole lot of stuff. But, you know, everyone else, you can you just send him an email and just see what happens. Like, if nothing happens or nothing comes of it, whatever. Um, but, you know, like, it's uh, the communities, like, especially Ruby is surprisingly welcoming and happy to help each other. I don't necessarily think all the other programming communities are quite as, friendly and nice, but, uh, they can be too. That's definitely true. Like Python was pretty awesome too, but you know, Ruby just seems exceptionally friendly and a great place to be. So yeah, I've done that many times. And I know that Jason, when we were beginning this podcast and he was cold emailing a bunch of people, um, to see if they wanted to be on the podcast, I remember being like, wow, you know, it's fascinating how like the connections like that can be made. But as it turns out, Jason knows like everyone in the community, period. <laughs> I wouldn't go that far. You're but like I, at the doorstep of Ruby, like shaking people's hands. Hey, I'm Jason. This is Ruby. Welcome. <laughs>
0: well, kind of like where you mentioned like uh me going to conference and meeting people, how valuable that is. Like I went to a lot of my first conferences by myself, and I just made an effort to get out of my shell and I got to meet some really cool people that way. And so I'm still, still getting to talk to and hang out with those people. Uh, like Chris. So,
2: yeah, I think uh-huh. that's a really good point. I mean, you have to be willing to kind of come out of your shell and kind of make the attempt. I mean, cause I know most programmers are like this. I'm definitely like this. I am 100% introvert. Like, when I'm ready to recharge and settle down, like I lock myself in my room and I don't want to talk to any people. Um, So being that way, it can be a daunting task to go to a conference where you're surrounded by thousands of people. And a lot of them you're in your head, you're going to be like, Oh, these people are way smarter than me. Like I'm going to say something stupid and they're going to reject me. And you know, that mental gymnastics, but I, that's just usually just not true. And if you're willing to put yourself out there, you'll be surprised uh, the benefits that you'll gain from that. I mean, I think the last RailsConf, I met both of you. um, And obviously when I think Chris was like, yeah, I'm upstairs. If you want to come get a sticker. And I sat and hung out for a little bit, but that was me hundred percent out of my comfort zone. Like, like looking for the nearest escape at any moment, like trying, like, but if you, if you force yourself to do it, you'll be surprised at the amount of benefit you can get from it. And I think that goes with messaging people online as well. Just be willing to be rejected, be okay with being rejected or not getting a response back, but know that the amount of times, the amount of benefit you're going to get from the ones who aren't going to reject you is just going to be so much, bring so much more value that it's, it's totally worth it. I recommend everyone just trying to, you know, realize what makes you uncomfortable about potentially messaging someone like me or someone like y'all on Twitter about, Hey, I have this problem. I don't know. This problem is like, what's stopping you from reaching out to someone in the community for help or telling someone in the community that you appreciate their work or offering or wanting to help them or, you know, just talking about general technology, I guess, like what's stopping you from doing that and figure out what that is and see if you can potentially overcome that.
1: I think that's good advice. Um, Jason, you have any other questions?
0: Um, My only question would be, do you have any links you want to share, Andrew?
2: Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Andrew M codes. You can pretty much find me everywhere on that. Um, I'm happy to talk to anyone. My DMS are open. Um, I've had just the other day, someone, you know, dropped me a message about, something unrelated to what it eventually turned into and what it eventually turned into later is like him and I sitting down, um, one afternoon and him showing me around like a rails code base that he was working on and asking opinions and stuff. So I am 100% willing to talk to anyone about Ruby or other things as well. Um, so if you are looking to get your foot in the door with, you know, meeting new people, definitely shoot me a message. Um, tweet to me publicly find me on github um yeah i love to interact with new rubius love to make friends
0: very good very cool well thanks for joining us it's fun to chat and kind of get to know you a little more
2: yeah thanks for being on yeah i appreciate you guys uh inviting me
0: sure thing chris uh i guess we do this again next week i think you already scheduled something
1: yes sir well, I mean, we're supposed to record every week, but we sometimes get ahead, which is fun.
0: Well, yeah, we're not, we're, not, ahead. we're not, we're ahead. not ahead right now. No, We haven't been ahead since like April. Maybe it's not disorganized. I mean, we recorded this in June.
1: <laughs> cool, man. Well, I will uh, talk to you next week. See ya.